Hello, Iterative Marketers. Welcome to the Iterative Marketing Podcast, where each week we give marketers and entrepreneurs actionable ideas, techniques, and examples to improve your marketing results. If you want notes and links to the resources discussed on the show, sign up to get them emailed to you each week at iterativemarketing.net. There you'll also find the Iterative Marketing blog and our community LinkedIn group where you can share ideas and ask questions of your fellow Iterative Marketers. Now let's dive into the show. Hello and welcome to the Iterative Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Robinson, and with me as always is the observant and analytical and not sick, Elizabeth Aaron. How are you doing today, Elizabeth? I'm well, Steve. How are you? I have a... A little bit of a, a tickle in my throat again today. So uh, such is the life with small children, right? It is. It is. So are you uh, getting geared up for uh, summer here? Yeah, we are. Um, my husband uh, has a new bike of some sort. I don't know if it's a mountain okay. bike or I'm not a bike person, obviously. Um, and uh, my son has his, uh, oh shoot, what are they called? The A balance bike. Okay. Um, he's two, so he's got a balance bike. And then I have this adorable beach cruiser, custom-made okay. beach cruiser that my husband's friend made for me a few years ago, but I am deathly afraid of bikes. And so I keep putting off. I'm like, well, it looks overcast today. Maybe we shouldn't go on a bike ride. So um, I don't know how much longer I'm going to get away with this. So you have a custom-built bicycle, but you are deathly afraid of bicycles. Yes. Um, apparently, there's an appropriate age to learn how to ride a bike, and I missed okay. it. Um, we lived in Arkansas when I was very little, when it was a kind they, of bike riding age, and we didn't have a They don't yard. have bicycles in Arkansas? We lived on the side of a, a mountain, and so we had a deck around the house. So I could okay. ride around the deck, but that was about it. So I, I really missed out on that like very important developmental phase of learning how to ride a bike. So anytime I get on a two-wheeler now, I get... I'm very wobbly, get scared. It's, it's, it's kind of sad and pathetic. Oh. Yeah. Well, maybe this is the summer to overcome that. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Excellent. So we're not talking about bicycle riding no. today. What are we talking about? Today we're talking about how to run an effective A-B test. And A-B tests are really core to iterative marketing and then and what we do because they're they're the, the, the core of, of experiments, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So today in our episode, we're going to talk about what an A-B test is. We're going to run through um, not only what they are, but why they're important. Um, and then we're going to outline the six things that make them effective. And I think this is really important because just running an A-B test isn't enough. Um, you know, there are some core elements, some key things that you need to hit on to be able to make sure that you're making the most of the time that you're spending um, setting up and, and running this test. I think we should probably start by explaining what an A-B test actually is, right? Mm-hmm. So an A-B test uh, tests two different versions of the same content to determine which is going to have a better outcome. And good A-B tests also try to control for external factors so that you're really only testing what you mean to be testing and that you don't have a bunch of other things impacting the outcome. What's nice about A-B tests is that they can be applied to any medium, banner ads, landing pages, direct mail, uh, even print. Um, there's a lot of opportunities to run um, an A-B test, and not only to run an A-B test, but to run a series of A-B tests that results in some really interesting and unique insights that can be passed through to the rest of the organization. And A-B testing has gotten a lot easier because it's actually built into a lot of the tools that we use every day and or there are there are tools outside. So if you're if you're running an A-B test in email, it's probably built into MailChimp or the marketing automation platform that you're running like Pardot or, or Marketo. 
Um, if you're running it on a website, we've got great tools. Um, Optimizely is out there as a paid solution. Convert.com is the one we use. It's a little bit cheaper. And then there's even a free one um, that Google just revamped and is great. It's the Google Content Experiments uh, as well. And then some of the advertising platforms have some as well. Facebook is releasing an AB, um, some A-B testing capabilities and an update that should be happening any day now if it, if it hasn't already happened and I'm just behind the times on that. Um, and so, it, again, it really makes it easy for marketers to be able to set these up and, and run them. So why are, why are we talking about A-B testing today? Why is this important? I know I had alluded to it earlier, but uh, um, why is it important to you as a marketer? Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things when you, you talk about testing and experimentation, I think so many marketers get scared because um, we're going to use some words later that I know make me nervous, like statistical significance and, um, you know, some other things that, you know, are, are common in your vocabulary. But I think most marketers are a little afraid of. They took statistics because it was a required business course and, and they passed it barely. And that was the extent of it. Um, and that's what is nice about A-B test is that it's 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 very simple, very easy to run, and it has such a big impact on what we're doing, um, specifically on impacting the effectiveness of our marketing. And, and it does so in a way that allows us to figure out definitively the best way to allocate our, our marketing resources. It's not about my gut feeling. It's not about my CEO's gut feeling. If he likes this picture over that picture, he thinks this headline is better. It's not about the personal preference. It is about the cold, hard facts, what the data shows our audience is going to respond to. Now, I can't tell you the number of conflicts that I've resolved by saying, why don't we just run that as an A-B test? It's amazing. And um, and it's it's one of those things, too, um, I have found in my experience that if you're butting heads with, with you know, w- when you work with marketing, you're working with so many other departments and um, you know, you may be butting heads with that department head who thinks that they know that their audience so well and, and um, not saying that they don't, but again, testing that is a really great way to, to put those arguments or, or to put those disagreements to an end and, and find out definitively um, what it is that the audience really prefers. So today we're going to go through um, six core keys. I hate that. I, I think we, we, we say keys to this and keys to that way too often. So six things you really got to really watch to have a, a good A-B test, right? Mm-hmm. And these are important because this is these six items really separate, you know, just running a test um, against running an effective test. And I think at the end of the day, if we're going to spend the time, we're going to put the resources towards this, we all want to have an effective experiment. And those six things are, and these are kind of in no particular order because they're all really important, but they're, they're, they're having the right sample size, making sure you have a random sample. We're talking about controls and what those are and how to make sure you've got them. Um, we'll talk about duration. Uh, and then statistical confidence, and finally, the one that's nearest and dearest to my heart, I know I said they were no important, no order, but uh, <laughs> is uh, testing for insight and not just uh, not just conversions. Steve definitely has a favorite here. <laughs> I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that. So let's talk about sample size. What, what are we talking about when we're talking about sample size? Again, you said none of these are, you know, really more important than the others, but I have a feeling when we get to each one, I'm going to be like, this one's really important and sample size is really important because what sample size is, is is it's the number of times you need to present either version A or version B to determine a clear winner. Um, And this is important because uh, when we're talking about a clear winner, we're talking about statistical confidence. And We'll we'll get into that later, and um, you know, again, this is one of those areas where I'm like, I just do what the calculator tells me, and and you have a better understanding of it. But what we're looking for is we're looking for a confidence level, um, either ninety percent confident or preferably ninety five percent confident, um, it, that we would be able to reproduce this experiment again. Right, and and to your point, a calculator will help you 
help you determine how big of an audience you need to have a reproducible experiment. Um, but if, you're, if your audience is too small, it's falling somewhat to luck. And, and it, it takes time and it takes resources to run a good A-B test. So the last thing you want to do is dedicate these resources only to find out that while your test produced a result, it's not a repeatable result. And it, it, you're, you're basically doing just as well as you, you would have done if you flipped a coin. And I think, um, you know, why I see this one as being so important, and we talked about this earlier, is you only have so many opportunities to run a test. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit later in, in what some of the other um, items that we talked about. But you only have so long to run a test, and so you want to make sure you're running the most effective test possible. And what's nice about looking at... Uh, at your, your sample size is that you're able to go into the experiment before you even start it and know how many people or how many um, clicks or conversions or actions that you need to have happen to get to that that level that you're looking for, that confidence level. And so you can you can figure that out and then and look at your own website traffic um, and determine if you're even able to, to make that happen or not. Yeah, so before you start, run the numbers of what you think you're going to have as far as the amount of traffic or opportunities people are going to get to see your, your your two different versions run those numbers into a confidence or I'm sorry into a sample size calculator and optimizely has a great one we'll link to in the show notes run that in before you start your test if it turns out that you don't have a big enough sample size then scrap that test and come up with something else to test because otherwise you're just you're, you're wasting resources and you're wasting time yeah definitely now, that's not the only thing we need to talk about when we talk about sample, though, because just because you have a big enough sample size doesn't mean that it's an effective test. You also need to have a random sample. Yes, and this is very important, and I think this is one of the places that we as marketers have a, a, a tendency to sometimes get hung up on because it's like, well, everyone's created equal, but they're not all created equal, um, and that we have to be careful that when we're segmenting that list, if we're segmenting that list, that we're not putting these 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 groups and giving, you know, version A delivering it to one group that may be acting differently than version B. And I think a great example is if we have an ad that we're testing and we give version A to the people in Cleveland and version B to the, the people in Cincinnati, we don't know if the difference in how they react is is because people in Cleveland and Cincinnati are just different. We don't know if, if, if that's what it is or if it's the version of creative that we've shown them. Yeah, people in Cincinnati are weird. No, I'm kidding. Um but we're gonna exactly, get, we're gonna get hate mail now. We we are we are. Um, but uh, exactly, you don't want to you don't want to split your list across some fault line that 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 could result in some difference. So you want to use a random number generator or another system to randomly split your list and assign uh, different people to different groups. The nice thing is, most of the time we don't have to worry about this. Most of the time, this is baked into the tool that is um, is administering our tests. So if that's like an Optimizely or a Convert.com, it's divvying up your website visitors and putting Group A and Group A and Group B and Group B and making sure that Group A only sees version A and Group B only sees version B for you. And it's doing that randomly on your behalf. The same thing is true of if you're using an A-B split test tool within your email client. The only time you have to worry is if you're doing something like an A-B test in direct mail where you are the one splitting the list. And in that instance, you just want to make sure that you use a tool to do it randomly. I think this is a great time for us to take a quick break. So um, let's go help some people. Before we continue, I'd like to take a quick moment to ask you iterative marketers a small but meaningful favor and ask that you give a few dollars to a charity that's important to one of our own. 
This week, we are asking that you make a donation to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Their mission is to save lives and bring hope to those affected by suicide. They have set a bold goal to reduce the annual suicide rate in the U.S. 20% by the year 2025. To find out how you can help, please visit AFSP.org or visit the link in the show notes. If you would like to submit your cause for consideration for our next podcast, please visit iterativemarketing.net slash podcast and click the share a cause button. We love sharing causes that are important to you. And we're back. My voice is holding out so far. We'll see if we can make it to the end of the episode. But uh, before we left, we talked about samples and sample sizes and making sure that um, we had a large enough sample size and that our ra- our sample was random. Um, uh, those were our first two uh, tips or keys or, or important things, right? Um, our next one gets into controls. And this can be a hard thing for people to get their head around. Yeah, the controls are the, the efforts that you put in place to make sure that the one thing that you're testing is the only thing that's different between the experience um, that you're trying to create for version A and version B. And there are there are a couple of things that make this up. It means, first of all, testing only one thing. You're going to want to make sure that that if you're changing a headline and a banner ad on a landing page, you you, you want to make sure that 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 you're only testing one of those at a time, so that you know whether it was the headline or the banner ad or the headline or the or the, or the photo on the landing page that 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 influenced the outcome. Because if you test three or four different things that are different between version A and version B. You don't really know which one is 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 the key. The other thing is it means making sure that version A and version B are the same size, same color. Um, you know, all of the other elements that make up what it is that you're testing are are completely the same. Yeah. So, for example, if you had um, uh, two different versions of a landing page, and one of them had a headline that said "Download our ebook and and nail your next webinar," and and you made that one green, and then the other version was download our ebook and avoid these costly webinar mistakes and you made that one red now you don't know if it's because it had one had a green headline and the other one had a red headline that 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 was what resulted in your test or if it's because uh, uh because of what you're what you were meaning to test the two different messages um uh, resulted in the difference in outcome between version a and version b that's a great point. I see font size a lot too. If you're yeah. looking at a headline and one's bigger than the other and you, you know, reduce the font size so that it fits um, or it's, you know, breaking on two lines, those are all little elements that you're going to want to keep in mind. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it also means running a test at the same time. Uh, uh, sometimes it's hard to to administer the test um, where uh, you have some system divvying up your users so that they're getting version A or version B at the same time. And, and so we, we, we become tempted to, well, we're going to run version A this week and then we'll run version B next week and compare the results. The thing is, your audience is fickle. Little, little dumb things will impact their, uh, their interaction with your stuff. And you see that when you look at the lines in Google Analytics and if you go to the daily view and it's going up and down like this, you know, what was different between Tuesday and Wednesday? Um, the reality is, I mean, things like weather or or what's in the news that week might change how somebody reacts to your very content. So if you run version A this week and version B next week and some crazy news item hits, ver- hits next week, um, it could totally change the outcome of your test and in ways that you might not even realize. So you always want to run your two versions at the same time. And that's an example of, of controlling for time. 
The other thing you want to try and control for is making sure that the audience hasn't seen either of your versions before you actually start your test. And um, I've seen this happen before where someone will take uh, the test, the, the version that they've been running, and they say, you know, I think maybe this headline might be better, so I'm going to create version B and then just launch version B to run as well. Well, if you've already had version A in the market, people have already seen that. They've built an affinity to it. They've gotten used to that message, and that's going to skew the results that you get. You know, this is just a, a couple of examples of controls or things you need to control for as as uh, an experimenter, right? As a person administering this A-B test. But um, this is this is just the tip of the iceberg. You really want to sit down and take a look at your test objectively and say, am I making sure that there's there's nothing else that's changing between version A and version B, either either because I'm running things at a different time or they may have seen something beforehand or or um, uh, the the inadvertently we ended up shifting something else on this page in order to make version B work. and and now really, these are two different experiences in more ways than we intend. Um, come back and figure out how to control for that and 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 get version A and version B really only testing one thing, the one thing you want to test. The next thing we want to look at is duration and specifically being careful how long we're running our A-B test. In our experience, we found that you never really want to run a test longer than 90 days. If you run it longer than 90 days, bad things happen from a couple of different fronts. You get noise in your test because um, the, the landscape is shifting while you're trying to run the test. And more often than not, that, that just you know, further ensures that you're going to end up with a non-result because uh, early early indications that A was winning will be canceled out by indications that B is winning later. Um, but it also gets into some technical components of how these platforms run these tests. And, and uh, if anything is relying on cookies in a browser, um, cookies aren't reliable beyond uh, a few weeks to be consistent. And so you want to you want to make sure that you just don't run longer than 90 days. At the same time, you want to make sure that you're running your test long enough that it factors in any business cycles that might be impacting that test. So for example, if you're running a test um, Thursday to Monday and running it over the weekend, then you're favoring weekend habits. Whereas if you're running your test Monday to Thursday, then you're favoring weekday habits. And um, you know, depending on your B2B or B2C, um, this could really skew the results that you get back. Um, another thing you want to keep in mind when you're talking about making sure you're running it for long enough is is taking a look at um, you know month end cycles, especially if you're in the B two B market. Um, what's happening month end or or even year end can have can be very different than what's happening at other times of the year. And so those are those are both periods that you want to take into account when you're looking at the time frame or the time period that you're running your experiment for. Our fifth item here is statistical confidence. And this is the one where we start getting into geeky words and, and, and Elizabeth's eyes glaze over. So, um, But statistical confidence isn't that complicated. This is not that complicated of a concept. And once you have your head around it and, and, and you can speak and, and educate others in your organization about this, you'll look like a rock star. For those of you that disagree with what Steve just said, and you do think it's complicated, um, don't let this scare you. We have um, an easy-to-use confidence calculator on our website. Very, again, very easy to use. You simply plug in your impressions or sessions compared to either your clicks or conversions, and it's going to um, tell you, uh, for both your control and your variable, it's going to come back and let you know um, what percentage confidence rate you've come back with. Yeah, and confidence is, is just that. It's a percentage. Um, at least most of the time, it's presented as a percentage. And and um, 
it represents a probability and it represents the probability that if you ran this test over and over again how likely are you to get the same result that 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 are how likely are others to get the same result that you just got mm-hmm. and um you don't want to run with with what you think are facts that turn out to to not necessarily be valid because if somebody else runs the test they're going to get a different result so you want to see a, a statistical confidence ideally at about a 95% range. Now, if you were in academia and you were running a, a, a scientific experiment, you'd be looking for a 99% statistical confidence. Thankfully, we're not in academia and we don't have to do that. Um, 95% is pretty good and, and enough for us to run with that, at least as a working hypothesis. I have run with, with confidences less than that if, I, if, if, it was, if it was something where, you know what, I needed at least a working frame of reference in order to move forward. I'll run with something at a 90%, but I'll make a note to come back and test that later because I'm going to want to I'm going to want to validate that a little bit further with a future test. Um you explained this ex- explained um confidence to me this way once and I, it made a lot of sense. So if you don't mind I'd like to share this, but yeah. if you're looking at a confidence rate of 95%, that means that if you were to run the test 100 times, we would expect that 95 of those would work out with the same exact winner. Um, but then five or so would, would work out to the other version. Um, again, it's looking at the the probability of, of being able to repeat this over and over and over. And so we know that it's not some fluke. We know it's not something funny or funky that happened. And when we are able to prove this, when we can come back and we can say with this confidence, um, it's a lot easier to go to you know the department head that you might be having a disagreement with and say, no, look, the data shows me and, and you can't argue with the data. Exactly, exactly. So this brings us to my little uh, pet point here, right, Mm -hmm. of uh, testing for insight. Um, I I think it's great when you can run an A-B test that's going to impact the bottom line and you're going to get more leads or better leads or higher conversion rate or or higher click-through rate. Uh, And that's all well and good, but I think you're leaving a ton on the table if you're not also testing for insights. Um, when we're talking about A-B tests, um, you know, we, we've talked about this before and, and button color is, for whatever reason, a really popular test to run. Um, the problem is that that doesn't give us the insights that we need, the insights that can be applied not only to our own marketing, but to other departments within the organization. Um, and so one of the things we really want to come back to when we're looking at these A-B tests is finding ways to test the psychographics of a very narrow audience segment so that we can discover those insights and share them with the organization and improve our performance across all departments. It lets us take the results of this test out of the the, the microcosm, the environment in which we operated the test. So if we ran the test as as subject lines for email, if we can take a learning from that and make it universally applicable for all of our other marketing, that's a huge win. Whereas if we come away just knowing how to make better subject lines, well, yeah, okay, that's useful information, but not nearly as useful as learning more about our audience in ways that we can apply elsewhere. So the key to doing this is coming up with a hypothesis for how we expect our audience to act and why, and then building an A-B test that validates or invalidates that hypothesis. And in doing this, we are very deliberate in what we are testing. So for example, um, this would be a bad hypothesis. Uh, If we wanted, uh, our, our hypothesis would be as follows. We believe that the headline, don't make these three massive mistakes, will result in more conversions than the headline, use these three tips to amp up your results. 
That's a bad hypothesis. And it's bad for a, a few reasons. Um, it, it's not specific to an individual audience, so um, we don't know exactly who we can apply this learning to. And it's also very specific to this piece of content. Um, if we wanted to turn that around and turn that into a good hypothesis, it would, it would look something like, we believe that Mary, our persona in this case, will be more likely to convert if presented with an offer that limits her risk versus an offer that um, offers a greater reward because Mary is more concerned with limiting her risk. Now we've learned something about our audience. We've learned something about Mary. And if we make sure that our test is, is, is the best, best possible test we can use to, to validate or invalidate that hypothesis, we're able to take that learning and, and apply it elsewhere. It becomes a true insight. Yeah, we're not just updating the headline here. We're updating, um, you know, other landing pages that may be targeted at Mary. We're using it to create content that is going to resonate with Mary. Um, we're sharing this with our operational departments who are interacting with Mary and maybe revising call scripts and and other internal documents that that help our internal team members to connect better with with our Marys. Um, now. By testing for insights, um, the, the, there, there's, there's good and there's bad associated with, with trying to do this because um, it means we have to have a narrower audience. Uh, if we want to be able to apply this insight to Mary's, then that means that we're really only testing Mary's. Now, this is good because if, if, we've, done our good, if we've done a good job of segmenting our audience, then Mary's are going to act consistently. So we're more likely to get a good result because if we were testing Mary's and Lucas is at the same time, and Lucas goes left when Mary goes right, they cancel each other out. So it can actually benefit us in our test results, but it can also hurt us because um, uh, we now only te are testing Mary's, and maybe we can't get a sample size big enough, according to our sample size calculator, to even run a test against only Mary's. And so it becomes this, this balancing act that we have to run that can sometimes be really challenging to run. At the same time, if you are testing with a narrow audience, um, you know, it's the nice thing is that you aren't necessarily limited. We talked about wanting to make sure that you're only testing one thing at a time, but if you're testing something with your Mary audience, you can also be testing something with your Lucas audience at the same time. And so you're generating insights um, across personas, which mm -hmm. just makes your marketing even better. So we talked about a ton again today. Um, uh, of course, all of this will be detailed in the show notes if you haven't selected the show notes, but just kind of just to kind of briefly recap here. Um, we're talking about A-B testing and the importance of A-B testing. Uh, if you're not doing this, obviously we encourage you to get started today and, and it's easy. The tools are probably built into the tools that you're using. By testing two different versions of the same content, we're able to determine which is more effective, which allows us to quantitatively figure out the best way to allocate our marketing resources. And if we do it correctly, also provides us insights that make us more informed and more effective marketers. But if we're going to do this well, um, if we're going to get the true value out of A-B testing, there are six things that we need to be looking at. And those six things include sample size, how big is your audience, random sample, controls, Duration, statistical significance, and Steve's favorite, testing for insight. I want to thank everybody for making time for us again today. Uh, if you haven't already, we would love it if you'd pop out to iTunes and leave us a review. We'll be sure to give you a shout out on a future podcast. 
Um, and if you haven't signed up to receive the show notes in your email, um, there's some great links and valuable content and takeaways there, and you don't have to worry about accessing them on your mobile device. So please pop out to iterativemarketing.net, sign up to get those show notes in your in email inbox so you don't have to try and reference them from the, from the car while you're driving. Please don't. Until next week, onward and upward. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on YouTube or your favorite podcast directory. If you want notes and links to resources discussed on the show, sign up to get them emailed to you each week at iterativemarketing.net. There, you'll also find the Iterative Marketing blog and our community LinkedIn group where you can share ideas and ask questions of your fellow iterative marketers. You can also follow us on Twitter. Our username is at I-T-E-R, the number 8, I-V-E or email us at podcast at iterativemarketing.net. The Iterative Marketing Podcast is a production of Brilliant Metrics, a consultancy helping brands and agencies rid the world of marketing waste. Our producer is Heather Ullman with transcription assistance from Emily Bechtel. Our music is by Seastock Audio Music Production and Sound Design. You can check them out at seastockaudio.com. We'll see you next week. Until then, onward and upward.